excited and lucky to have Paul Beattie here in Hackney to discuss his Man Bakuwaning novel, The Sellout. We have all Paul's books for sale, including some backlist titles that haven't been published in this country before um, until very recently, um, and they'll be for sale at the end as well, and we'll be, there'll be lots of time for him to sign copies afterwards too. So we're very delighted to introduce the chair for this evening, Sunny Singh. Uh, Sunny is a critically acclaimed author herself, and her latest novel, The Hotel Arcadia, is also on sale tonight. She co-founded the Jalak Prize, which exists to celebrate British writers of colour, and she's the chair of the Authors Club, as well as teaching creative writing at the London Met University. So, uh, without further ado, please welcome Paul Beattie and Sunny Singh. Hello and um, welcome. Uh, I'll just give you a quick, quick breakdown of what we do. So Paul and I will have a quick conversation for about half an hour and then I'll open it up for questions to everyone else. Uh, I wanted, I'm going to ask Paul all the questions that I've always wanted to ask him. So just bear with it. Um, and now you're in trouble. <laughs> so I read your book, The Sellout, last summer. And it's probably one of the most disturbing books I've read. And I'll tell you why first, and then I'll explain, and then I'll come to my question. It was disturbing in multiple ways because it reminded me of people in India, and there are people there, who, of a certain generation and certain class, who sort of go, we were so much better off than the British. We, you know, we need the colonization. You know, it was great. The trains ran on time, and, and always, yeah. sorry. Um, so it used to always, it used to really drive me crazy, and used to get my hackles up. Um, and then I would watch the British really kind of getting very excited about the fact that people do things like that. Um, and then I was in South Africa um, just before liberation, and. There was a set of people who kind of wanted that same narrative, uh, going, oh, it'll be fine, you know, people just argue. And I've heard that over. So when I was reading this, I kept sort of feeling that sense of um, almost a rationalization. And that's why I found it disturbing. And then I came back and started looking at the press, and they kept calling it a satire. Mm. So I want to ask you. You've said it's not a satire. Why do people think it's a satire? And what did you think it was? Or what were you writing? I mean, I'm just trying to write a good book. (laughs) Pretty simple. But, yeah, I mean, I can't speak for why people label it a satire. Um, You know, I think what I've been saying, it's, it's an easy word to just kind of toss out, you know, without talking about the word disturbing, you know, you get to say it's a satire and somehow that might make it a little less disturbing for some folks in a weird way. Uh, it's funny, I taught this class, this satire class at school, we were talking about the word, you know, like when you use it, when isn't it used, and there's a kid in the class who's sort of obnoxious, but he's really smart, and he's like, uh, yeah, whenever I say something really racist or sexist and no one laughs, I just go... Oh, I'm just being satirical, and then they laughed. You know what I mean? So it's, it's you can just hide behind the word a little bit, and but for me, it's you know the word just feels so limiting. You know, 
And uh, it's not a word that I think about ever at all. You know, I just write the way I write. And the next question is a little bit linked to this. And a student of mine, um, yesterday in fact, um, linked your book, The Sellout, to Get Out. Now, I don't know if anyone's seen that movie. I watched it, the, I took my blanket and I watched it in the, the theatre, hiding underneath it. Um, and that was very disturbing and terrifying. Um, and that, those were very similar emotions I had when I was reading your book. I was just absolutely terrified. And I kept going, please don't, please don't. And unlike the book, you didn't give us much of a happy ending. It went, you know, it, it was scary and it stayed scary. But I think what is interesting is, is you call out or you describe this, this all-encompassing oppressive structure in ways that's even internalized amongst the people who are living it. And that's a fascinating case, but it, it does in some ways, um, for me, um, remind me of this very long tradition and a historical tradition of, of precisely that kind of confrontational, revolutionary, liberatory writing. How do you feel about that? And I know those are big words I've thrown at you. Liberatory. Yeah. How do you feel that? And I know that's that's a strange word. Is this liberate liberatory? Is that what you call it? Liberatory, as in liberatory, writing that is about you know that your writing is in some ways calling for that. Maybe self liberation. I don't think about any general sense of liberation or revolution or anything. Really. I mean, I guess I don't think my book is anything like Get Out. I hope it isn't. Uh, I fell asleep during that movie. I, I, I didn't understand what that movie was about, to be honest. It's way back in the <laughs> But um, I'm not sure what you're asking me, to be honest. Well, I think I'm asking you a little bit to talk about what was going on in your mind behind the process, behind the things that have not been talked about, that have not shown up in the you know, the, yeah. the sort of the criticisms and the, the wonderful reviews. What was happening in your mind? Uh, I, I mean, I can't... I, I, I don't know how to... Talk about that really? I, mean, I, I don't like anything. I would say I'm completely making it up. So, um, but like something that's sort of always going on in my room. So today, my wife went to the founding museum, and she was saying, you know, at first I was like, oh, 1960 is exactly like now. Then I was like, 1940 is exactly like now, you know. And she went all the way back, you know. When was it founded? Out, out the other. Yeah, and so now she's, you know, 1780 is exactly like now. Yeah. You know, and so I, I always think about that, that same but different thing. You know, what does that mean, you know, in terms of us as people? So that's one thing that's sort of always there in my head, you know? Uh, it's funny, I, it was, I was listening to Colson, or I read something about Colson Whitehead talking about reading the slave narratives before he wrote... Uh, Underground Railroad and blah blah blah, like what he, you know, extrapolated from those. And I, yeah, I understood all the stuff he was saying, but, you know, I'm simple, but I remember reading them and I was shocked about the way that, you know, these former slaves used the word nigger. And it was exact, like I thought, like people just started throwing around nigger in the 60s or something, but it was exactly the same, you know, on so many different levels, you know. And that really scared me in a weird way. I was like, fuck, you know, it just really scared me. Uh, yeah, what was in my mind? I don't know. Um, 
you know, I just, I tried to write a book that couldn't be ignored in a weird way, you know, and not a book to provoke or to shock or anything. It wasn't about that, you know, it wasn't about that, but it was, uh, and we, you know, they were talking about this earlier today, but, you know, just to write something that the reader doesn't expect, you know, and I think I can speak for America a little bit. I think oftentimes people like books where they know what they're going to get in a weird way. And they're comfortable with that. And that bores the shit out of me, so I, don't, I try not to do it. Um, yeah, and I, I can't really answer your question in a, in a real honest way. So, you know. so thank you for that, because um, I think a lot of the questions that you that I have clarifying for my, for me, I just so you know, I don't want a clean sort of journalism. You know, this is not Jon Snow, so we don't need a journalistic answer. I'd rather have the impressionist sort of um, your views of it. Um, you mentioned the word. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought that was stupid of me, but go ahead. No, 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 no. I, it's, I can't, I won't say it. I, I, I can't say it. Um, but as I said, um, I was in South Africa before liberation. There's another word that is used there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's used not only, it, it's sort of used for everyone who wasn't in the prop, top ladder. Yeah. Um, and I always remember when it was when I, it was first thrown at me, I was in Soweto. The South African word. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, That's the K word, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, the K word. The K <laughs> word, yeah. And when it was thrown at me, um, and my friend who was there, who was an ANC person, um, I remember just going, how do you process this? And, and I still haven't figured out how to process it. Um, and and yet the ways you use it is disturbing. And I go back to that, the comfort level of calling it satire. And yet at no point in the book you use the N word in a way that's, that's not in its all horrific, disgusting nastiness. Mm. And the violence is so clear. Um, and yet it seems to be missing um, in the discussions around it. Um, how do you process that? How do you cope with that? Cope with what? Cope with the word being used and taken away and, and, and just ignored in the way it's used in the book. Yeah, I mean, it's the, strange. The book is not about the word. I mean, the word exactly. is like part of a bigger lines of all kind of crap, you know, so it, it, the word's the word, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say I'm using it cavalierly, right, I'm, you know, using it with a purpose, but I think the book is bigger than the word, the word is just mm-hmm. like one kind of symptomatic thing of a bunch of stuff, you know, and there are parts of the book that are like a, a vivisection of like what exactly that you're talking about, like the legacy of the word, how the word means, and how do you compare it to other things, I don't know, there's a part in the book where they're talking about the word nigger and Mark Twain or something, and he goes, yeah, that's not the worst word in the book, you know. For him, like, words that end in ESS are more disgusting than, you know. He's, there's a, I just saw it, so yeah. it's in my head now. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. he says something like, you know, I'd rather be called a nigger than a giantess any day of the week or something like that, you know. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so I just, you know, I'm having fun with it a little bit and trying to examine it a little bit, but... Uh, that part's not that important to me, but I think it's funny. I was in Australia, and a guy opened up. Like, some people just want to jump on that thing. Like, they ask me this thing. They, they really want to ask me another question, you know? And they just want to say it out loud. It's, 
Mm. You know, that's fine. Mm. You know, it's in there. Now that you mentioned the giantess, I have a question that I want to raise about you. I think from what I, a little bit of the reading I did about you rather than your book, mm-hmm. um, you grew up in a household of women. Mm-hmm. And no giantesses. I, well, well but well some sort of Mental superhumans. Yes, yeah. superhumans. <laughs> um, and yet there seems to be a kind of not in, you're not that many women, um, and I wondered about it. But the bus lady, I, I'm a big fan of the bus lady. Mm. Um, but I wondered why is it is it is it? I, I wanted to see you write. I want I want to see you write more women in there. And I just I'm not in this particular book, but somewhere down the line. And I just wonder how you think about that one. Yeah, I don't think about it that much. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, you know, not, not writing the book so people see themselves in the book. You know, I'm not trying to do that. And um, hopefully that people see themselves regardless in different ways. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, I get nervous when people go, oh, you need more of this in the book. You need more of that in the book. And it's, that's not the story. You know, yeah. there's so many stories out here. This is this story. Yeah. You know, I'm sensitive to all that. Like, I'm mm-hmm. perfectly aware of that. And, you know, so whoever's in the book is I try to portray these characters in like this light that we don't often see people in, mm-hmm. you know. And that's the most important thing to me. You know, I might disagree with you a little bit about that, you know, but that's just my perspective and, you know, you have yours. But, um, yeah, just, I guess that's a criticism, I guess. I'm sorry. I don't know. No, it's actually not meant as a criticism. I would love to see you write a book um, with with female characters just just to get a sense of that because I just, even in that one character, we get, I I just was like, please tell her story because I want to know more. Um, and that was me, the reader. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it is unfair always because of course the writers write the story they want rather than the one that readers want. Um, but that really I, it, that stood out to me, and mm. I want to know more. So if you're writing another book, might be or down the line, the fifth book or the eighth book. Who knows? Um, what I was going to ask you to do, mm. and this is not just for me, is I'd love to hear you read a little bit, and then uh, we can come back to a bit of a conversation. Sure. Uh, give me a second, sorry. I thought I marked it. I did. Um, this is like a little bit just about the bus in LA, I guess. Uh, there are more cars in Los Angeles County than in any other city in the world. But what no one ever talks about is that half those cars sit on cinder blocks in dirt patches passing for front yards from Lancaster to Long Beach. These not-so-mobile automobiles, along with the Hollywood sign, the Watts Towers, and Aaron Spelling's 56,500-square-foot estate are the closest LA gets to approximating the ancient marvels of engineering, like the Parthenon, Angkor Wat, the Great Pyramids, and the ancient shrines of Timbuktu. Those two and four-door rusted pieces of antiquity stand impervious to the winds and acid rains of time. And like Stonehenge, we have no idea what purpose these steel monuments serve. Are they testaments to the bitchin' and firming hot rods and lowriders that grace the covers of custom car magazines? Maybe the hood ornaments and tail fins are aligned with the stars in the winter solstice. Maybe they're mausoleums, the resting places of backseat lovers and drivers. All I know is that each of these metallic carcasses means one less car on the road and one more rider on the bus of shame. Shame because LA is about space. 
And here one's self-worth comes from how one chooses to navigate that space. Walking is akin to begging in the streets. Taxi cabs are for foreigners and prostitutes. Bicycles, skateboards, and rollerblades are for health nuts and kids, people with nowhere to go. And all cars, from the luxury import to the classified ad jalopy, are status symbols, because no matter how shoddy the upholstery, how bouncy the ride, how fucked up the paint job, the car, any car, is better than riding the bus. Alameda, Marpessa shouted, and a woman scurried aboard, toting one too many plastic shopping bags and pinning her purse tightly to her side with her elbow. She made her way down the aisle, scanning for vacancies. I can spot an L.A. newcomer a mile away. They're the ones who board the bus, smiling and greeting the other passengers, because they believe, despite all evidence to the contrary, that having to take mass transportation is only a temporary setback. <laughs> They're the ones sitting under the safe sex ads, looking up quizzically from their Brett Easton Ellis novels, trying to figure out why the assholes surrounding them aren't all white and opulent like the assholes in the boat. <laughs> They're the ones who jump up and down like game show prize winner when they discover that In-N-Out Burger has both a secret menu and a double top secret menu. <laughs> they sign up for open mics at the Laugh Factory, jog along the boardwalk, trying to convince themselves that the double penetration scene they shot in Reseda last week is only a stepping stone to bigger and better things. I'm gonna skip a little bit, just, just some stuff. <laughs> just some stuff, some social science stuff about like who you sit next to on the bus. <laughs> I could tell from the way they pulled her arms into the ground, the bags were getting heavy, and that she was barely holding on to her groceries and dreams. Even though she was exhausted and growing more and more despondent with each bumpy rise and fall of the worn out suspension, she preferred to stand rather than to sit next to me. They come to LA aspiring to be white. Even the ones who are biologically white aren't white white. Laguna, Laguna Beach volleyball white, Bel Air white, Omakase white, Spicoli white, Brett Easton Ellis white, Three First Names white, Valet Parking white, brag about your Native American, Argentinian, Portuguese ancestry white, faux white, paparazzi white, I once got fired from a telemarketing job, now look at me, I'm famous white, <laughs> Calabasas white. I love LA, it's the only place where you can go skiing to the beach and to the desert all in one day, white. She held on to her vision rather than sit next to me, not that I blamed her, because by the time the bus hit Figueroa, Figueroa Boulevard, there were a number of people on board whom I wouldn't have chosen to sit next to either, like the insane fucker who repeatedly pressed the stop requested button. Stop this bus, goddammit, I want to get off. Where the fuck are you going? Even that early in the day, stopping a bus between designated stops was the same as asking the flight crew of an Apollo rocket to the moon to stop at the liquor store on the way. Impossible. Just so you know, we, I had no idea that's what we were going to read, and you can vouch for that. So, um, strangely enough, you did linked to the question I had, um, or maybe it's not a question, it's perhaps more of a comment, and I wonder how you'd respond to that. Um, Alice Walker said whiteness is the fishbowl, the fish, and the water. It's invisible. And strangely enough, in that, pro in that passage, but all through the novel, 
It's been often talked about how this novel is around that word, um, around blackness, but in fact it's a novel in some ways about whiteness and white America. And I wonder how you think of that. Uh, I've never heard that Alice Walker quote. Uh, that sounds like bullshit to me, to be honest. You know, sounds like, <laughs> that just sounds like the shit people say that's self-empowering, but not true. You know? I understand it. Like, sometimes you need to say that shit, you know? Um, oh, yeah, she wrote an entire... Yeah, no, I, I, I just, you know, but... um. So what do you guys say again? That it's what, the, the idea that whiteness is invisible, and yet your your novel makes that invisible yeah, stuff. I don't invisible. think anything is what invisible, do you think? really. You know, I remember watching The Invisible Man. You had the hat on and the glasses. Right? <laughs> it's just like, you know, I, I love that. Like, how do you show the invisible man? Anyways, I, I just don't think anything's invisible. You know, I'm not saying I see everything. Mm-hmm. You know, but I try to render to some extent what I see. You know, like there's a lot of Kind of seeing these film things, you know. I try to have like a a nice depth of field. Is that the phrase? You know, when she's just in focus for a long way. That's what I try to do. I think, and whiteness is a part of that. You know, I, I, that is that doesn't make any sense to me. I understand it, but but the book is it's about a lot of things. You know, um, yeah, and it's about the stuff between black and white, like as antipodal stuff. I mean, that's how I grew up, and you know. Somebody was asking me about my friends and segregation and all this shit. And it just made me think of my crew, you know? And uh, guys who I'm still really close to, you know, families that I'm very close to. Uh, none of them white for the most part, you know? At least, you know, that set. But, um, yeah, even in that mix, white was so visible for us, you know? You live in, in LA and you've got Hollywood, which is just over everything, you know? which renders a certain kind of, you know, mythological whiteness, you know, that doesn't exist, but it's there. Uh, yeah, it's always, you know, sea foam. Yeah, there's a ton of shit. Sea foam. Yeah. I think I'm going to hang on to that one. Yeah. I might even steal it. That's what happens when yeah, you talk to a fellow writer. I might steal it, um, so in case you hear that. Um, all right, um, before I open it up to everyone else, because I know there's going to be questions and people want to talk to you, um, I wanted to ask you the question that I always wish somebody would ask me and I always want to be asked what, first of all what is your book about for you are you want people to ask you that question well I know because they're like, telling me to ask me that it's like so I can talk about all the stuff that wow. I have to deal with oh, wow. um, okay. and the second part is What's the question you want to be asked? And answer that. <laughs> uh, with this book, I like when people talk about the fruit. That always makes me feel real nice. So I, uh, put a lot of work into that, you know. <laughs> and uh, it's really important to the book. It's as important as anything else that ties the whole book together, you know. Uh, so that's that. Uh, what does the book mean to me? No, no. What's the question you'd like to ask? Me? No, that's what I just said. Okay. You know, but what's, uh, the well, what's, the, what's the book for you? What was uh, the book about? Or is about? Uh, no, and that doesn't have yeah. to be in the book. It's whatever yeah. happened in your head or elsewhere yeah. or somewhere. I, I think for me the book is just about navigating Los Angeles, you know? And, um, and that involves all the stuff that the book is about, you know? It's um, just this guy with his feet on the ground, you know? And this 
neighborhood I made up and these other neighborhoods I made up, these places I made up. But um, it's just about navigating that stuff um, inside his head, you know, outside of his... I mean, he could, it's all in his head for the most part in a weird way. Um, and navigating language, you know, which is... That's the essence of all of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, the book's about language, really. Okay, I think that, that, I'm glad I asked that. Yeah. It suddenly made me rethink. So when I go back and reread it, I'm going to keep that in mind. Um, I think this is a good moment to open it up for you um, and questions from the audience. Um, so please, uh, I, uh, do we have a, a mic for the audience or just speak up? No, I think just if you want to stand just, up. Just, just yeah, stand up and speak up. You don't have to, but if you um, Okay. Even more than the fruit, I like the little rust. Yeah, yeah, the last, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I looked up to some on YouTube too, and then I wondered whether the episodes you describe are fictional or real. <laughs> uh, I think there's, I, the most of them I made it up, you know, I think I had like given myself this thing of, I wasn't apprehensive, like I knew I was going to do it, but I was like, no one knows who the little rascals are, I mean, no one cares, you know, <laughs> Right, rightfully so, uh, <laughs> but, you know, but I love the little rascals, it's really important to me, and uh, for reasons not worth going into, but, so, God, I have to think about this, uh, so there are parts in there you know, I own all of them, like all these uncensored, even the silent ones, you know. And even before I started writing, I just had been watching them, you know, knowing that it was going to come into play somehow. So there's a part in there where Hominy and is battling with a little monkey. Is that, I don't know if anyone remembers. That's sort of based, you know, and there's some episodes, there's little images, and then there's the one where they're drinking the milk, the spoiled milk. That's a real one. Yeah, I think so. You've got little whites to ties with hair. Yeah, and and then the rest of them I just made up. Like I was like, how can I write episodes even more racist than the, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but most of it's made up. Like there's one I guess where I don't know, I can't remember what I call it, but it's like Ben Franklin flying a kite or something. I made that one up, and I don't know, most of them I made up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, go ahead. Part of it's personal. I don't want to be a satirist. I think you know. I don't think about satire when I'm writing. I just write. I mean, this book is not so different than anything else I've ever written. You know, but it's interesting that satire comes up so much with this book. Part of it's my fault because somebody asked me about it, and I went, "No, it's not satire." And I realized that kept the conversation going. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, some of it's personal. Um, you know, I think about. I've been talking about this a bit. Uh, uh, there's a guy named John Day. I don't know, maybe some people know him. He's a London writer. And we were having one of these. And he was like, yeah, I understand now like, why you don't call it satire. I've been watching this YouTube clip of Nabokov talking to Lionel Trilling about Lolita. And, um, and the, the, the TV host is talking about that book as satire. And my wife said to me, like, I can't even imagine that you would call that book ever satire. You know what I mean? 
And it's just, it's just, it, it just, I don't know. There's just, probably it's personal, but I don't see it as satire. I just don't. You know, I see it funny, maybe comic. Yeah. But the satire thing, I think, is a little lazy. It's just really adding to what you were saying there. I guess for me, what I think, thinking about the satire, for me, what distinguishes satire is deep and huge anger at injustice, at bad things. And satire has been a way of giving form and elegance to this anger. It's been a way of sharing anger in a way that is not just punching someone in the face and the rest. So to me, I, I think the, the, the word satire has been used because of the anger, the huge anger that one feels reading your book. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I don't, you know, it's not like I'm angry, cussing at, you know, just <laughs> not. Yeah, but I think also, like, satire is directed at a specific thing. You know, Preston Sturges on satirizing Hollywood movie making. And then if I, if someone is to ask somebody, what is this book satirizing? Everybody's going to have a different fucking answer. You know what I mean? And like satire is usually very pointed, you know? And so I don't think that the book's satire. I just don't. But it's not like I'm against anybody who says it is, but I'm not going to put myself in that box because I don't feel like it belongs there. Matthew, there was a question. Right, no, no. Right there. Me? Yes. yes. Thank you for that book because there's so many areas which are relating mm. and which made me laugh. Mm. Because I think your conversation in the book covers a lot of things that some people of different races dare not even bring out. So reading it and relating to it, to me it was too, it was real and made me laugh. Mm. You know, it's almost like unless someone has ever experienced being stopped by the police who have not done anything at all, yeah. or walked in a shop on someone kind of looked at you and got to snatch you know, something that you're looking at. Yeah. You cannot appreciate some of the way you actually put that humor in the book. You know, for me, when I read it, I could relate to a lot of situations that you're referring to. So thank you very much. We enjoyed it. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that so much. And that's another aspect about why, is it, why it isn't satirical to me. You know, and I remember I did a reading in San Francisco and my wife's, well, I don't know, what's Lou to you out there? You're yeah. So, family friend said, I'm tired of all this satire shit. This shit is reportage. <laughs> so, and I, you know, and I think that's interesting, though, know, about, like, who calls it satire and who doesn't. You know, I think, I thank you for saying that. You know, this is shit I gotta, I'm at the end of this now. I wish this had happened earlier. I had better answers to this. But, like, no, but that's, that's, she's, she's dead on right there. So. Well, thank you, because, because exactly, those were the questions I was getting at, but you did it far better than I did, so thank you. Um, please, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, just to sort of build on that, um, you said that, sorry, you said it was, um, you know, you didn't write it, you wrote it partly as a book that you thought people didn't expect, but, yes, saying on that, it's a book I personally felt, you know, I'd always wanted, mm. um, just from the opening statement, sort of the idea of sort of the double consciousness that me feels, you know, claiming that, look, I've never, you know, attacked anyone, I've never raped anyone, I'm who I am. And I just thought straight away reading, I thought, you know, who is Paul Beattie? Like, you know, like, to, to create this book, you know, you'd have to be, for like, Wu-Tang Clan, you'd have to be Freud, you'd have to be, you know, Leon Festinger, all wrapped up into one. 
And so it was pretty astounding for me. Um, but on a specific question, you mentioned about um, sort of cognitive dissonance mm. quite a lot that comes through the book. And there's um, a particular scenario when you're talking about um, black people basically having to practice cognitive dissonance a lot more. And for instance, you know, when they vote for, say, Republicans, this is cognitive dissonance. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, is that cognitive, cognitive dissonance even bigger nowadays with people voting for Trump and what have you? Yeah, I mean, I hear you on that. So, like, I don't know how to talk about that, you know, because I don't think, like, these feelings, these behaviors are limited to black people by any stretch. And, you know, so in talking about the Trump thing, I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, I read things who I am, you know, black guy from L.A., whatever. But... Part of that is also this thing of people acting against their own fucking self-interest. You know, that's a weird other kind of deep-seated self-hatred, self-despisal that people don't even really deal with in my eyes. You know, and like a thing that really always sparks me is, I don't know when this was. Omar? Where's Omar at? Omar will know. When did David Duke run for governor in Louisiana? I don't know the dates, but it's about, it's about 50 years ago. Yeah. So this guy, 50 years ago. Yeah, one five. Oh, 1-5, 15. No, it's longer than that. But unless he's run a, a bunch of times. No, because I, I know from, like, but whenever he ran, I was, at my, I was at my friend's, the Keaton's house. And this guy, David Duke, ran for governor, and he was, like, head of his Ku Klux Klan chapter or something at some point in Louisiana. So they, you know, did the election. He didn't win, but they did the election results, and he got, like, I don't know, you know, 30% of the white vote. I don't know. But at the bottom, it said he'd gotten some, like, 4% of the black vote. And I remember, to this day, my friend Ronald running up to the TV and goes, Who are these dumb motherfucking niggas, man? And it just really stuck in my head, you know? And it's, I mean, I think we all can cite examples of that kind of behavior, that kind of weird dissonance about when you act against your own self-interest, you know? And... Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I can't really explain it, you know, any more solid than that, I don't think, but it's, yeah, but it's something I think about. Well, we've got elections coming up next week, and I have, I fear we'll be seeing a lot of those self-hating people voting against. Yeah, and it's me telling somebody else what their self-interests are also, you know, so yes. I'm aware of that yeah. also, you know. It's so. a very, a very strange space. Um, please, go ahead. I really enjoyed the book. Um, your book reminded me of, um... A book I was written some years ago, George Schuyler, Black No More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is people class it as a satire. Back, it was written back in the 1940s. Yeah. Well, actually, it was about a social commentary of the African-American experience during, during the height of Green, Jim Crow. And I kind of compared that book to your book mm. in terms of post-Obama, um, now Trump. Mm. And also it was about, I saw the book, I saw the book also about issues around mental health and well-being. So yeah, last about mental health and well-being, yeah. because what you were, all the all the stuff he was writing about was looking at what is black, what is identity, what is white, what is America, what is California, uh, and also what is regeneration, yeah. identification, yeah. and and how all how how the individual, the protagonist, was trying to balance all of these while at the same time thinking about his father, who had, who he had a love hate relationship with, but it's more love than hate at yeah. times. Yeah. So. It was really fascinating. Thank you, man. And I was just thinking, could, could that work in the UK? I'm not quite sure if it could work in the UK. Because I, I don't know what do you mean by could that work? I mean, I can't answer that. I mean, I don't live here. I don't know. I mean, I think anything can work anywhere. You know, I think 
Yeah, I mean, I think you can do anything you want on the page. You know, it's. Um, I mean, the repercussions might be different, <laughs> you know, depending on where you are. I mean, some places, you know, you get put in jail for writing some shit down. You know, so I think anything. That's what I think. I mean, you live here. I don't know. So, I mean, I think one of the things is it's interesting that the UK is the place that really pointed to this book. You know, it happened in the states a little bit. You know, at a certain level, like people who take literature very seriously and don't always think that it has to be a reflection on where the nation's at or something or who we are, you know, but it's interesting that it happened here where people were like, hey, this is a book that somebody needs to pay attention to, you know, so I don't know what that means, you know, but it's also, I'm American, you know, maybe if a Brit writes a similar well, I book, I don't know. It's easy to look at America. Yeah, I think that can um, be part of the situation here in the UK, so I we can look at America, we can have a conversation about what's really happening around racism, discrimination, Black Lives Matter, but we don't have a kind of conversation in the UK. At all? Or very little? Yeah, well, you know, conversations... I, I had some students, we were having some beer, and they had just graduated. And, you know, they're good writers, and you know, they're ready to go, they want to get started, you know, half my age. And they're looking to me like, so, uh, Paul, where's the conversation? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you, the, the conversation is the conversation you have amongst yourselves, you know? And the, the example, I, I mean, they, I teach at Columbia, and it's not like I'm some, you know, and I have like this, you know, beat poet philia or anything. I'm like, think about these guys went to Columbia, they met at Columbia, they liked each other's work, and they stuck up for each other, and they started something. You know, they started their own fucking conversation. And, you know, that's, these things happen, you know, so, yeah, I think you have to be wary. I mean, you know, I can't tell you what to talk about when, who, where, but I think all you gotta do is do it. You know, it's like you started your own award. You know, for something that you feel is unrecognized, no one's paying attention to. So you give, let's give our own award. You know, that's like how you do it, you know, I think. Well, I have to say, um, just going back to that conversation, Alex Wheatle, uh, Patrice Lawrence, who just won the YA Book Award, um, Gary, Gary Young, you know, these are, these, they, these are people who are hopefully uh, pushing forward the conversation here. And many, many other people as well, obviously. But hopefully we can have the conversation here as well. But I do take your point. Is, is it perhaps easier for Britons to look at America and problems over there rather than, than back at home? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming at you quite bruised from uh, Mr. Philip Davies who decided to complain against the prize. So, you know, I do have my, my versions of it. But thank you for that question. I think we we do have time for some more, so please don't don't hold back. Um, I can keep talking to Paul. Believe me, um, I have lots and lots of questions up my sleeve. This. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, you. But uh, it was great. I wanted to ask you a lot of things, but then I was thinking mainly like, uh, how do you feel at this point? Is what I was interested with because. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say that any work should have a purpose external to itself, but also, you know, if you're going to appeal to the ghetto, right, or the equivalent we have over here, you know, a, lit a highly literary, you know, in quotes, work isn't the way to do that. And in the book, your character speaks in the language of the ghetto, but also in the, the language of the establishment, right, to a certain extent, like, uh, like someone said, Freud, continental philosophers, so on and so forth, and now like you've won the Booker, and the white, it's predominantly white literati have kind of honoured you. I mean, rightfully, right? It works good, um, but 
at that stage, at that point over here, you know, I've been to a few little events recently, and this is like the least white room I've seen, and this is still mainly white, you know, you're here in this environment, how, how do you feel, like, at the end of that process, I guess? You mean, like, how do I feel being here right now? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I feel good. I'm having one of the better discussions I've had in a long time. So, I feel good. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. Let's do this. Uh, sorry, go ahead. He really loved his father, didn't he? Loved his who? His father. His father. Is that right? I guess you always love your dad, doesn't they? know. They're like dogs, you know, you take your dog and the dog comes back, you know. It's hard to, like, you know, it's not all the time, but. Yeah, I mean, uh. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, his father has fucked him up, and, you know, it's it's impossible. It's like you never forget your torturer, you know, you don't. It's all in Fanon, right? You know, it's, uh. That person's there, you know, so, I mean, if that's love, then. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, he's got, you know, his father's inside him, so, yeah, absolutely. What's that? Am I missing it? There was, who's the poet, it's a British poet who said, they fuck you up, your mum and dad? Oh, so, there you go. <laughs> um, there's a question here, and then there's one at the back, please. Yeah, we'll come back, so, okay, thank you for that, I wasn't paying attention, sorry. I'll come back to you, come up to you next, or one, two, and then... Um, thank, for, for me, the book was um, one of the most... It, my feeling reading it was there was one of the most direct... You said reportage, but like lived experience in the most direct way possible. And yet it's a very clear work of fiction at the same time. So is, is that something which you find is an important tool for you because it brings in a principle of universalism, it can be applied more widely, and that's why you stuck so rigidly to the fiction element. Yeah. Um, with yeah. something, I mean, I, I couldn't remotely um, find myself aligned to anything almost laughing, satire, nothing, because it was so direct lived experience was my feeling reading mm. it. Mm. But it's so much fiction at the same time, so yeah. what was the... I don't even know how to answer that. I mean... I mean, I think good work is universal. You know, it's not like everybody's going to like it necessarily, but good things speak to people, you know, whether we, hopefully we're lucky enough to find them, you know, or they find us. So I think that's, it starts from there. Uh, I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking of Christopher Isherwood. You guys know who this is? I mean, he's British, but it's, uh, I'm thinking of this, his book is a single man. Is that that book? You know? He's got this passage in that book where he's just talking about the here and now. And it's about memory and what's happening now. And he's teaching this class. And in his lesson is his little inner monologue. And it's about the lessons he's giving. It's about his, his dead lover. You know, it's about so much. And so for me, what I try to do is try to put all those layers in there. You know, so you hopefully, I understand what you're saying. I mean, that makes me, you know. You know, that's what I'm trying to do is raise goosebumps, you know, and that's like when I, something speaks to me, with even some shit that I don't understand, but, you know, for whatever reason. So it's, I'm just trying to, like, really operate at this level where you feel like how you feel. Like, if I feel like that, you know, writing it or something, then I feel like, yeah, I'm onto something, you know. And 
you know, maybe Goosebumps or Universal or something. I don't know how to talk about it, you know, without like being pedantic about it, you know. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do, really, you know. Um, and and every now and then somebody like you sees through all the the buzzwords, you know, and can get to some 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 for me some not real necessarily, but why you write, you know, why you read, you know, these little basic kind of things. There was a gentleman, I think there was a hand back there. No, here. Um, yes, please. No, yes, 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 no, no, no. I think this dude has been asking. Oh, sorry about that. Have you? Yeah, that's right. Well, I promise you, keep, keep, you know, I will come back. And there is a gentleman up there who needs, who will, I, I, I have you now in my sight, I promise. I can ask about the fruit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I have nothing to say about the fruit, really. <laughs> Descriptions of uh, fruit are amazing, though, like the Satsuma trickling down the face, the apples, the descriptions of apples. Uh, was there, is there a symbolism to that, or do you just really, really like apples? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even really eat fruit that much. <laughs> I don't, you know. But uh, it's really, it's. I mean, we're just talking about memory, you know. And I grew up in California. You know, I just drove cross country, and you get to the California border, and the first thing they go. Do you have any shitty produce that you're bringing into our <laughs> state, you know? And it's just, I just, it, produce is just one of those memory, this one of these really evocative things for me. And it's tied to politics a little bit, you know, great boycotts, all these things, migrant workers. I uh, just, you, you're in California, you know, you see strawberry fields, you know, you see this, you know, we had a peach tree and a lemon tree and a fig tree in my backyard. I remember my friends. For whatever reason, we were the only family that had fruit trees in our backyard. But you know, they would just pour over my the peaches, and I still love pomegranate. It's just it's just a strong thing for me, and um, and you know, and the guy's a farmer, so it was like you know trying to make all this sort of absurd stuff real, you know. And it's, so it's the language again. It's like how do you write this out? A shitload of research, you know. <laughs> Some lucky stumbling on some things, but you know, it took a long time to do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go to the gentleman here and then up, up there, please. So, um, the gentleman who was about to ask a question. Um, yeah. Okay, hi, Paul. Hey. Uh, I find your book exhausting, uh, ridiculous, and very funny. Um, but I want to ask you about the, the dangers of nostalgia. I want to ask you about, so I left home when I was 18 to come to London and not live in a really boring place in the Midlands, because uh, I didn't want to have a bedtime and I didn't want to be told what to eat, so I came here, but now I find myself craving the things that I yeah. had when I was 16, yeah. and in particular with homily, which terrifies me, I've never seen a character like that in literature, can you tell me about the dangers of nostalgia and how awful those things are? What's the last part, sorry? The dangers of nostalgia and rose-tinted glasses? Rose-tinted glasses, yeah. I mean, I don't think nostalgia, you know, in and of itself is dangerous necessarily, you know? I mean, things that I'm nostalgic about, I'm happy to have, and things, you know. So, I don't know, Whitten Marsalis comes to mind for some reason. And I was, I remember talking about this, I don't remember where, I think it's in Holland. And I could see Witten Marcellus with a hat that would say, make jazz great again. You know what I mean? Because he's on this nostalgic trip of what jazz is. You know, it's really narrow. Um, 
Yeah, but nostalgia can be comforting. I think part of this, like for me, was I used to live in Berlin for a while. And it was interesting to see what they would call Ostnostalgia, you know, and I had all these East German friends. And it was just interesting to see, like, how important all that stuff was. And then also, you know, after I started thinking about it, I was like, man, you know, that wall wasn't up that long, you know? And it's just how quick you can create a history, how quick you can create an identity, you know? But it's real for them, you know? And then so even kids who didn't have that have this longing for something, you know, because it makes you feel different. It makes you feel special. It's, so I don't want to say that it's, you know, de facto dangerous necessarily. And, um, but yeah, but I'm the one who goes, who anytime somebody says, oh, back in my day, we did this and that, you know, we used to slap. And I was like, back to what Althea was saying. It was always fucked up. It's always been fucked up. It's always going to be fucked up. You know what I mean? That's, you know, that's where I operate, you know? So yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, politically we see what that does. I mean, it happened here, you know, it happens everywhere, you know, and it's all, you know, I think one of the things is nostalgia is memory, but memory is not necessarily what happened. You know, it's not necessarily true. It's mythology. It's you know, but uh, makes you feel safe. Makes you feel special. You know, makes you vote for Trump, David Duke, whatever. You know, Brexit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the gentleman up, uh, up there, Some stuff that I like, you know, some Donald Goins and Iceberg Slim books that I like, you know. Chester Himes has some books that are easily street literature, you know. Um, so some stuff I like, some stuff I don't. I mean, I think one of the things I admire is the hustle of that kind of stuff, you know. And a lot of it is not what people think it is, you know. Like, it's this thing that feels authentic, but it's not, you know. It's like these old white guys in L.A. running this place and, you know, you know it's all persona, some of it. You know, so it, that's interesting. Um, but there was, a, there was a guy. Yeah, I'm trying to think what story to tell. But so I remember reading this thing about a guy who was writing these sort of street lit books. I remember a book in the 90s called Homo Thug. You know, a beautiful title. Yeah, it was such a good title. It would just be on the tables like you'd be walking down 125th Street. Do you remember this book? Yeah, and I just love that title. I never read it, but I love that title. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, literature is what people want it to be, you know. Um, so the story I was going to tell, it's apropos of nothing, but there was some guy who was writing these crime-driven sort of books, and he was self-publishing them, and he really liked his books, but, you know, he couldn't find an agent, he couldn't find a distributor. So I think I read this in the Times or New Yorker, I can't remember, but what he did was, is he was outside and he noticed the people that wait for the buses to go to the prisons upstate, you know, they go from the Bronx or Manhattan, whatever. And then so he just got on the bus and started selling his books on the bus, you know, because it's a two, two or three hour ride, you know, and these people read, you know, 
And he's and so just word of mouth built up, and soon you know he was selling you know fifty thousand copies of his books. Anyway, just thinking about that, you know. And I think when I was younger, that stuff was um, I don't know if important is the right word, but I you know I, I got another kick out of it, you know. And some of the stuff is really good, you know. And um, you know, just this underbelly kind of stuff. And I, I I don't know. I don't have like a solid thing that I feel about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any thoughts on Sister Soldier. I read that Cold as Winter. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some bits, and it's not like my book or anything. You know, I read it because a friend of mine was her editor, so she, you know, and uh, it's not this type of stuff that I read, though. You know, so. Uh, Cold as winter, but there were some funny things in there, like the naming the kids after the cars and stuff like I that. I was in the middle of reading, I was like, Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's sometimes you people need what they need, you know? And uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, you know? And I'm not one, I remember having a conversation, I guess this is the other story I was going to tell. I was in some radio interview with another uh, black writer who I didn't know, we were on the phone, and I remember him complaining. About his about what black people read, and he was like, "We read shit, you know. We're reading street lit or whatever, and everybody's reading all these guard, you know, these gay triangle books and blah blah blah, you know." He went on and on and on and on, and they asked me, I was like, "Yeah, I mean, no one owes me a read. People read what they read, you know." And then after the show was like in a break, you know, some hiatus or something, I asked him. I was like, "Oh, so you write? You know, what do you write?" You know, I expect him to say this highbrow shit. He wrote those kind of books, <laughs> you know. And it was just, you know, but he did it because I guess he felt no one else would buy the stuff that he really wanted to write, you know. So I, I don't know what I'm saying. But I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, write, write what people will read. Yeah, that's his choice, you know. Yeah. It. We, we've still got time for a couple of more questions, so oh, please. Uh, hi, I just wanted to say that um, I grew up around here, and it reminded me a lot, even though the book was set in LA, this area used to be really awful, um, like Murder Miles just up there. Murder Miles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a lot of uh, parallels, like um, Zadie was saying as well, with my life and, or life, and someone had mentioned about something about people who, who are from these sorts of areas not in not really reaching them. Yeah. I think it does what everyone I know from this area who grew up when the, no one would come here, like this event wouldn't have happened here and stuff like that, are definitely reading it and seeing comparisons and feeling the need to talk about it, which I think is great. Um, but also I want to ask you, um, what's the most surprising reaction about your book that you've got, whether good or bad? What's something that someone said that you didn't expect about it? Yeah, I don't know really. Um, I'm sure there's been something. It's surprising. Maybe I was a little surprised, like especially the early reviews, how positive they were and really genuine. <laughs> I was a little bit. I was nervous about it. You know, I was a little surprised. I guess you know, not sure why, but uh, as far as like a specific reaction, I. I I mean, I had so many beautiful moments, you know. So I was in Jaipur at this literary festival, talking to this guy, Sandeep, who's this novelist. And he just stopped 
and then he went on this whole litany of stuff about how this book reminded him of growing up in this little Indian town he grew up in, you know. And it was just so crazy to me. And but it was nice, you know, it was just nice. And I was just in Melbourne and I met a young Mexican American woman who's lived in Australia for like five years. She's from La Mirada. And she came up to me and she was like, yeah, I'm giving this book to all my brothers because this is exactly like our life. You know what I mean? So those things, not surprising to me necessarily, but they feel really nice, you know? And yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I'm surprised how much I'm talking. That's what I'm really <laughs> We'll keep you talking because it means I don't have to. Mm -hmm. so, um, shall we take one last question? I think we've got just about time for one last one. If not, um, if not, Paul does have. Well, there are books to be purchased. There are books to be signed. Um, oh, there is a question. Sorry about that. Well, only if no one else has one though. Whoops. No, I was. Um, it was very interesting to hear your question and comment um, about this area because the bookshop has put on. Uh, we've been open nearly ten years, and we've put on. Probably the most common topic is about urban change because everybody here is talking about that. And so I was really interested to see that um, in your book. And, you know, I felt like it really leapt off from that. And it was, he was trying to reclaim his city, which had been kind of eaten up. And so I would be interested in hearing maybe a little bit more about that aspect uh, of I mean, it. That's like, I mean, you know, it's um, just from me going home, you know, it's. You know, obviously, you know, I'm aware of, like, what happens, the things that you were talking about. I mean, it's going on everywhere. Gentrification is old, too. There used to be this Indian poet on the Lower East Side who used to talk about, I can't remember, she was Native American, and she would talk about all these things, and the, her last line of the poem was, yeah, don't tell me about gentrification, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's this stuff is old in a weird way, and so, for me, it's sort of rendering it on a personal level, like, you know, what's happened to this house that I grew up in for a long time. Um, you know, like, it's kind of the obverse for me. It's like, you know, I was in, a, in a, an invisible neighborhood in a weird way in West LA that never had a name. But now there's like a rush to give this place a name because the property values are so high, you know. Um, and, you know, a bunch of stuff. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, um, it's important to me. You know, I'm not trying to make a statement about it, you know, but it's... Uh, something that I'm definitely trying to render, you know, about these things. And, you know, part of it is, you know, in L.A., you know, uh, the black community in L.A., which was never huge, is really shrinking, you know. Uh, and now, like, you know, like, these hoods are, like, in a desert, which is so weird, you know. So these people, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a bunch of stuff that just flits through my head all the time. I'm sorry I don't have, like, this political statement to make. Well, in that case, shall we um, try and wrap this up? Uh, there are books to be signed, um, and I'm sure Paul would love to answer questions or just talk to you, um, not publicly and not with the mic. So uh, do stay on, and uh, please. Sonny, thank you so much.